One of the biggest challenges when it comes to Easter and Christmas and all that kind of stuff, regular services, one of the biggest challenges often is, what do you say that hasn't been said? And you know, the, the fact is that it really, it really is important that that which has always been said be said again and again and again and again and again. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And when you look at the scriptures and you see the teachings of Paul and, and Peter and John and so on, uh, you find that they were not shy nor embarrassed nor, nor in any way hesitant about saying the things over and over and over again that were so important. In fact, Peter said, as long as I have breath and live, I'm going to keep reminding you of these basic things because these are the things that count. Well, when it comes to Easter and the message of Christianity, there's nothing more important. There's nothing more vital. There's nothing more crucial than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is really the, the core of Christianity. If Jesus Christ is not risen, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> it's kind of like the bad news, good news thing. And I was looking at some of the, uh, some of the various uh, jokes that are out there for bad news, good news, and I, I thought, man, most of these aren't even funny. But then uh, Sarah decided to go and use her electronic and uh, capabilities of this new century. And so she found a few. And one I thought was fitting for this morning was, you know, the, the, the good news was that the church had a baptism at the river and they baptized seven. The bad news is that they lost two because of the current. I think Sarah's... I think Sarah's favorite one, and she might, uh, I'm going to steal it so she can't use it next week, because Ruth and I will be in Virginia for Martha's final recital, but uh, she, she found one that said, you know, the attendance at church has just, just incredibly multiplied. That's the good news. The bad news is that the preacher was on vacation. When uh, when I when I look back and uh, think about all these good news, bad news things, I remember when I was uh, having all kinds of all kinds of pain, and I thought it was because of my stupidity and foolishness as a as a young person abusing my body in football and whatnot. And when I was forty years old, my wise wife told me that when whenever, whenever you turn forty, everybody goes to see the doctor for a complete exam at 40. Everybody does that. And so I acquiesced to her intelligence and wisdom and said, all right, honey. And so I went because she was tired of me groaning and waking up at night and she was tired of me uh, not getting sleep and rest and stuff and being all achy and pain and stuff. And so I went to the doctor and he basically gave me some good news and bad news. He said, the bad news is that 
you have ankylosing spondylitis, there's no cure for it, and, and you're just going to have to live with all of this, this pain, and it may get worse, it may get a lot worse. It may attack your eyes, and you might end up going blind, all kinds of stuff. He had a lot of things to share with me about all the bad news. And so I said, well, what's the good news? He said, well, you have the heart and the blood pressure of a 17-year-old. <laughs> I remember leaving that day thinking, thanks, Doc. That means I'm going to live a long time <laughs> with a lot of pain. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Bad news, good news. Life's full of it. Bad news, good news. When Jesus was with his favorite people, his disciples, he loved to go and visit Mary and Martha, Lazarus. On one occasion, he got some bad news from, from Mary and Martha. They sent word to Jesus and said that Lazarus has died. That was bad news. To make the things even more challenging for Martha, uh, Jesus did not immediately come and take care of Lazarus. And so when, when Jesus did show up, Martha said, if only you'd been here, things would have been okay with Lazarus. And it was all bad news, and she was completely in the doldrums. Martha, Mary, everybody was. And Jesus gave her some good news. Jesus said that he will rise. To which, of course, for Martha and her friends and family, she responded with some more bad news. She said, I know he will in the end. In the end. To which Jesus gave some good news and said, Martha, let me tell you, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never, never die. And he who believes in me and dies will live. And so he went with them to the tomb. And uh, there at the tomb, um, he got some more bad news. You know, he was going to have them roll the stone away. And they, they said, Jesus, you know, it's been like four days. He's already stinking. Jesus gave some good news and said, just roll the stone away. Just roll the stone away. So they roll the stone away. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Of course, Lazarus comes forth. He's all wrapped up and bandaged up, right? So the bad news is he's all wrapped up. And Jesus gives some good news and basically says, loose him and let him go. <laughs> That's my little bit of a twist there. He doesn't really, literally say, loose him and let him go. He says, unbind him. But my, my point is that for every, for every bad news that you receive and every bad news that we have regarding, regarding the world and Christianity and your life and so on, there's always good news. There's always good news to counter the bad news. In John chapter 19, you find Jesus is crucified and there on the cross he dies. And they take his body and they put him in the grave. 
And that's a mixture of good news and bad news. The bad news is that for the disciples, the Savior is no longer with them. He's now in the tomb. The good news is he was the Lamb of God and he died on the cross voluntarily, willingly to pay the debt of all mankind. He was the Lamb of God. He was the Passover Lamb. They had been rehearsing for years and years, every single year, the sacrificing of, of lambs for the atonement of sin, which is something, by the way, that, that takes its practice into not just Judaism, but also into Islam and so on. They have a, they have a special time when they remember by, by sacrificing a lamb the need for blood to be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. But, you know, that's really kind of a mixed bag as well because it's bad news, even, even though it's good news. It's good news that Jesus died voluntarily and he was the Lamb of God. But the bad news is that if all he did was die, it still doesn't give us any hope for the future. The Old Testament talks about how the sacrifices were made for the atoning of sin. Now, I want you to imagine just for a minute, atonement is kind of like a great big landfill. It's a spiritual garbage dump. And every single year, year after year after year, we find that sacrifices were made every Passover, and, and the sacrifices that were made atoned for the sin. They covered it. They covered it. So all the sins of all the ages were put in this this dump, covered, not taken away, just covered. When Jesus came and he took all the sins of all the world of all time, past, present, and future, it was all atoned for by the Lamb of God. Man, that's great news. But the bad news, the bad news is that if Jesus doesn't do something to take it away, it still remains. So the good news is obviously in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, when you read the, the account of the empty tomb, and I really want to read it because I think it's fitting today that we listen to this together. Because it's John 20 that brings a conclusion, if you will, to this whole atonement or this garbage dump of all of our sins. It is... It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that empties, obliterates, removes forever, forever all the sins of all time for those who believe. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early in the morning to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had 
first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. But Mary, Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. He is risen from the dead. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the atonement is finished and complete. And all of it has been forever, forever removed. But there are still some who think, well, maybe the resurrection really didn't take place. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, which is what we do every single week, we declare the fact that he, he lives. Because if he doesn't live, well, you just listen to all this bad news. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's not risen from the dead. That's a no-brainer, right? But then our preaching is vain. And I'm basically a charlatan. And I'm just abusing you and trying to dupe you. And we're just having a good time every week. And there's really no point to all this. He says, your faith is in vain. You've been duped. He says, we are, we are found Paul and, and those who are teaching and preaching. We are false witnesses of God. In fact, the dead are not raised. There is no hope beyond the grave. And the people that say, you know what, you live, you die, it's all over, that's it. That's it. So you might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. Paul says if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is not only, not only that which is vain, but he says your faith is worthless. Doesn't amount to anything. Because you're still in your sins. You're still tied to that great big dump where all the sins are put every year after every sacrifice. And those who have 
Those who've already died and are, are asleep in Jesus Christ, they've perished. They, they have no hope. They've perished. And probably the most, uh, I don't know, challenging of all, those are important. But this one, if we have only hoped in Christ in this life, if all you, if all you have is the hope of the resurrection, which didn't really happen, which may never happen, and you're just experiencing some religious commodity in this world, then we of all men are to be most pitied. That's bad news. However, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a historical fact that Jesus lived. It's a historical fact that he died. And there's also historical facts that declare he's risen from the dead. The, the fact and the, the, number of, the number of things that had to occur in order for all the prophecies to be fulfilled with regard to Jesus Christ, including his resurrection are so overwhelming that it is a historical fact that he is not dead. In fact, the disciples who were concerned that they couldn't find the body, they were also confronted with the fact that even, even the religious leaders were concerned about this. And the biggest lie to cover up the truth that people now believe is a lie was constructed by the religious leaders who went to Rome. They went to Pilate. They said, you know, will you please put a great big guard out there so that, so that they don't, the disciples don't steal the body of Jesus and thus fulfill the very things that Jesus said and prophesied. So the, the lie was propagated. He's alive. He's risen. That really marks the difference. It's incredible news. I want you to notice something that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22. He says, As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There's only two places you can be as a human being. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You can't be anywhere else. Being in Adam comprises... Really being in the line of humanity, being part of humanity, takes us all the way back to Adam, and all of us came from Adam, and we all, one way or another, whether, whether you check out Ancestry.com or wherever you go, you'll find out that you got, you've got human relatives that go all the way back, and we're not akin to no monkeys. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. I couldn't resist throwing that in. One of Ruth Ann's, one of Ruth Ann's dad's, uh, Paul's uh, favorite songs, had a little phrase in there. It says, I'm no kin to a monkey, no, no, no. <laughs> I remember that when Ruth and I were dating. It was absolutely hilarious. But you're either in Adam. That is to say, you are either, you're either a descendant from Adam and you're in the line of Adam and that's your hereditary going backward and the hereditary of any going forward. Or, the Bible says you are in Christ. The only way you can get in Christ is by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. 
Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. When you embrace Christ as Savior and as Lord, as the risen Christ, then you become transferred. You move. You are no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. So as a human being, when you're born, you're in Adam. And you have a hereditary. You've got moms and dads and grandmas and great-grandmas and all that kind of stuff and granddads. And it goes all the way back to Adam. Well, when you become a believer in Christ, when you embrace the gospel, which is good news. By the way, gospel means good news. When you embrace the gospel, God transfers you, literally. He moves you from Adam and puts you in Christ. Think of this. You now have a new heredity. You have a new past. You have a new father. You have a new family. You have a new eternity. You have a new future. Everything changes. Everything. And Paul says you are either in Adam or in Christ. And in Adam, all die. All die. See, the bad news, most of you know, is that the wages of sin is death. The bad news is that if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, you are still in Adam, thus you are still in your sin. And you will die in your sin. When you believe the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the keys to the resurrection, if he didn't rise, we have no hope. We have nothing to rejoice in. So when you embrace the gospel, he takes you and puts you in Christ, and that's incredible news. You have a new past, and you have a new future. You have a new destiny. You have a new hope. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all shall be made alive. Paul says that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation for all who will believe. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Just let me read for you Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, I want to make known to you the gospel. The gospel which I preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. There's no greater news than the gospel. Anyway, he says, I delivered to you, first of all, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Part one, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was the Lamb of God, right? We talked about that a minute ago. And on Good Friday, we talked about the fact on Friday night that it's good. It's good because, it's good because Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. That's good news. He died according to the scriptures. And then he was buried for us according to the scriptures. And on the third day, according to the scriptures, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. Now, just as a side note, how is it that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? It ties into the series that we've been doing on the fact that we're not alone, the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to listen to this this morning so you can 
you can see how the Spirit of God is our resurrector. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 9 to 11, he said, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Listen to this here. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit is the resurrector. God sent His Son to live and to give His life for us voluntarily. God sent His Son for His Son, Jesus our Lord, to die, to be our Savior, to be put in the grave. And God's Spirit is the one that raised Him to life. Brought Him back to life. It is that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells within everyone who believes in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for all who believe in the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same Spirit that raised Jesus will also raise us, these mortal bodies from the dead. So this is incredibly good news. I really need to ask a question about this because it's, uh, it's a question that's been on my mind for couple of weeks now and I think it's one that you have to answer you can't just remain passive on this you have to come to a place of decision in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 22 Pilate who's who's dealing with the crowd and Pilate who's dealing with the religious leaders and and Pilate who's having to deal with Jesus himself he asks this question he says what shall I do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? What do I do with this man? Well, you can do what many did on that day. You can mock him. You can ridicule him. You can abuse him. You can spit on his face. You can reject him all out. Or like Pilate, you can wash your hands of him. You can absolve yourself, as far as you are concerned, of any responsibility for his death. But the fact remains that Jesus died because of you. Well, I know, I'm not supposed to point. Because every time you point, there's fingers pointing back at you. You see, when I say... He died because of you. I mean, he died because of you. Every one of us. It is our sin for which he died. He gave his life to pay for our debt. A debt we owed. Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus? You have to... You have to come to a place where you resolve that question. You can wash your hands of it as Pilate did, and you can pretend that everything is okay because you didn't actually drive the nails in his hands. 
Or you can do what others did on that day. The centurion who watched the whole thing after it was over says, surely this was the Son of God. That rotten, rotten, miserable thief who was next to him on the cross said to the other rotten, miserable thief on the other side who was mocking him and making fun of him and all kinds of stuff and saying, oh yeah, you're God, why don't you just come down off the cross? Mocking him. And the one on his side said in his defense, he said, wait a minute, he did nothing wrong. We were guilty, he did nothing wrong. And that one that was on the other side of the cross, the thief, he said to Jesus, he said, remember me. Remember me when you come into paradise. And Jesus said to him, what? Today, today you'll be with me. So you have to, you have to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? And some people like to put Jesus along with all kinds of other things. He becomes one of many deities in their life. Literally, some people like to be everything. There are, either, there are even churches that are everything churches. You can believe whatever you want. You can have a position on whatever you want. You can take part of the Bible and leave the rest out. You can do whatever you want. You can mix your books if you want. And it's okay with them. They say, this is great. You know, you just come and everybody believe what they believe. The problem is, the problem is, folks, that that's terrible news. It doesn't do anything with your sin. It doesn't do anything with your guilt. It doesn't do anything to absolve you of the responsibility that you have before God. We are all guilty before God. There's none righteous, no, not one. What are you going to do about that? Just let everybody decide whatever they want to decide? Sounds kind of like a period of time during Noah's age when Jesus said everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see, it's not up to us. We don't get, we don't get to make and rewrite the rule book. I am not mechanically inclined. I am mechanically declined. <laughs> the first time I changed the oil in my car, I lost that little screw... And I won't tell you what else I did to the poor car. If I'm going to do something, I need to have it spelled out. Even though I'm a guy and it takes me two or three weeks to get to the book. I have to mess it all up first. Some of you men are not like that. But I'm so stubborn that, that I have to do it my own way until I figure out that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry, I'm giving you guys a bad time this morning. But I want you to understand something. That's the way we are as human beings. We decide on our own, we're going to figure this out. We're going to make it work. We're going to deal with this the way we want to deal with it. We're going we're to manufacture a system for ourselves. And so we embrace this. We like that. We, we take this whole thing about... God and individual human beings, almost like a smorgasbord thing. We go through the line, we say, I like that, I'll take a little bit of that, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a little... We didn't write the book. We didn't put together the manual. The Bible tells us that all are guilty. The Bible lays out for us bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. 
But when you look at the manual, it gives you good news, good news, great news, incredible news. You are guilty, but he paid your debt. You will die in your sin if you don't repent, but he has paid the way and he's risen from the dead. Jesus is alive, so you can have life. Man, if you just follow the manual and not be so stubborn. Embrace the truth of the gospel. It's as simple as A, B, C. It really is. Admit. Admit that you're a sinner. And that you need a savior. It's where it starts. B. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. Not him plus, plus, plus. Just him. Because he's the only one that conquered death and hell. You go to the tomb of Jesus even now. Whether it's the right one or not, doesn't matter. There's no body. No body. He's risen. Believe. Believe. And then finally, see. Confess with your own mouth. Confess with your own mouth that you need a Savior and that you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. As the risen Lord. A, B, C. So just as Pilate said, what do I do with Jesus? Don't do what he did. Don't do what the soldiers did, except for the centurion, maybe some others. Don't do what the crowds did and shouted crucify him and mocked him and spat upon him. A, B, C. Admit, believe, and confess. When I was when I was uh, first studying years and years ago, now as far as pastoral studies, one of the things they kept telling me over and over and over again in the in the classes when it came to teaching and preaching pastors, they They kept saying, you need to use the kiss method. Kiss, kiss, kiss. And I, you know, I was a, I was relatively a a newbie at most of this stuff. So when I went to my first class and the guy's saying, you need to use the kiss method. And I'm thinking, I thought this was a Christian school. (laughs) I'm teasing. But I found out right away what that meant. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple. When you look at Jesus, Jesus always kept it simple. Jesus said to Martha, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Simple. What do you do with your sin? 
Keep it simple. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again so that if we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have new life. Simple. You don't need to try harder. You, need, you don't need to become more religious. In fact, that will work to your detriment. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. A relationship with the risen Christ. So just one more time, let me remind you. I want to keep it simple. If you're here this morning and you've not yet put your faith in Christ and you're still kicking against it, you're still fighting it, you're still trying to have it your way, you're still trying to have it both ways maybe. Right where you are, A, admit that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Right where you are, B, believe that Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is the only one who can save you. Because he's alive. He's risen. And see, right where you sit, just from the breath of your own heart and soul, confess, confess Jesus as Lord. So simple. And yet so incredibly powerful. So freeing. So life-giving. So eternal. What are you going to do with Jesus? Father, we are so grateful to you that you put together such an awesome and wonderful plan what an amazing thing that you would give yourself <laughs> to pay for our debt. That you would suffer so miserably and be beaten so brutally and face the challenge of every pain known to humankind. Go through every temptation, every sorrow, every single anguish of soul to be acquainted with grief, to know what it is to be human, and then to give yourself voluntarily to be crucified. There to shed your precious blood as the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, to forgive us of all of our sins if we believe. To be laid in a tomb, a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day to be raised victorious over death and hell. If it were not true, it would be the greatest and most incredible story ever told. Because it's true. It is the most precious story 
And we who had no hope, because he's risen, have hope. We who were dead are now alive. And Father, all, all who will just simply admit and believe and confess will be transferred from Adam to Christ. We thank you. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.